name is Amanda Gagno. I was born and raised in California, but now I live in Ghana, West Africa. When Austin and I first got married and we moved to Ghana, at times it felt like he was my only friend, and in a, in a way he was. And so, but that's almost too much for one person to, to kind of carry. And so there were always people around, but me being the foreigner, being the, the different person, especially being white in an African country, there's this sense of mistrust and a sense of, you know, not being able to relate with one another that, you know, you're, the openness in a relationship can only go so far. And so I just couldn't go to that deeper level with people. They just didn't feel comfortable opening up to someone who was different, who was a foreigner, who wasn't from their tribe, who didn't, you know, speak their language. And so, so that was really difficult. Feeling at home in a foreign place really meant uh, trusting in God to be the provider for everything that I needed to to be my sense of comfort, my strength, the 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 one that would get me through hard times. Good morning. My name's Steve White. We are glad you're here to worship this morning. Several years ago, I was going to Heiligenkreuz, uh, Austria, to teach. Uh, for our mission partner, uh, TCM, at House Edelweiss, and uh, my wife was able to travel with me at that time. So I said, while we're over there, why don't we just uh, see a little bit of Europe? And so we decided we would travel more through Austria and then into Germany and Switzerland and France. And uh, uh, I remember the occasion when I said, now, as you prepare, remember, this is the only thing you can take. She was aghast. She goes, I can't do that. I got all my hair products, I got my hair dryer, my, my, my curling iron, and, and we don't know what, what, kind of, what kind of weather we're going to have. I mean, I, it was almost like she thought maybe royalty would invite us to the palace and we need to have appropriate dress or make a hang, hang gliding and need some appropriate dress. But on and on she went. And I said, I don't want lost luggage. You know, I want just one thing you can bring on the plane with you, and that's it. And lo and behold, she did it. I was so proud of her. That to me, that serves as a metaphor for marriage itself. Because in marriage, you want to travel lightly. But all of us bring baggage into our marriages. And some people bring a lot of baggage, and some bring uh, just a little tiny bag. My wife and I argue about it. I tell her that I brought more baggage than she did, and she says she brought more baggage than we did. So we fight about that. Um, Marriage has its challenges, doesn't it? We all know that. When Peter is writing his letter, he is writing to a group of people. He addresses the beginning as aliens, as strangers, as foreigners, sojourners. They, they, ha they are under persecution that is gradually intensifying. And because of that, they are under great distress. They have been affected adversely and econo economically, relationally, uh, in every way, their faith has been challenged. And Peter writes them to encourage them to be strong and to be bold and to continue on in the faith and, and, and not give up becoming all that God wants them to become. They need encouragement for their, for their journey together. And we need the same thing for us today. Because in this journey of faith, if you are not feeling more, or, or I should say less, if you're not becoming less comfortable in our culture, living here, then perhaps you're not well acquainted enough yet with kingdom of God living, 
We are called to live counterculturally. This world is not our home. We are passing through, and we ought to increasingly be feeling like we are just strangers here. We just don't fit in. Our worldview is different. Our philosophy is different. The way we do home life is different. The way we spend our money is different. Everything is different because of Jesus Christ. So here's what Peter has to say to husbands and wives in this increasingly difficult culture. And may I say, every culture has its challenges. We're under challenges in our culture, uh, different challenges. We have the stress of finances. We have the stress of jobs. We have the stress of family. One of our great stresses in our culture is just the speed of life, which, which comes in to uh, attack healthy relationships. All kinds of things are out to destroy marriages and homes. So here's our text today, the first three verses of chapter 3. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outer adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They, they had submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. I love that part, right? Oh, I won't do that. I cannot get her to say that for the life of me. I can't get her to say You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Well, this passage doesn't provide us everything we need, all the advice we need for healthy marriages, but there are several things, enough for us to take home with us and to practice well. So um, let's pray before we go on. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these words. They are words of truth. They are words that are given to us from you, our supreme authority. They are not words easily lived out, but we know that by Christ living in us, we can learn to be obedient before you. So help us to decipher these words well and in a healthy way so that we can be the best we can. Bless our marriages in Jesus' name. Amen. Wisdom for wives, first of all. He says at the very beginning here, in the same way. Now remember when Peter's writing, there are no chapter and verse divisions. He's just writing this letter in the same way. It, it refers back to what Luke was preaching about last week when he talked about the, 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 the humility by which we are to live in all of our relationships. All modeled by Jesus Christ who lived a meek and humble life he, he laid down his life for the sake of the cause of his Father in heaven who was, who was um, reconciling the world to himself. And, and so we're to submit to the governing authorities. We are to submit to those in authority over us in, our, in the workplace. And that spreads out to all kinds of areas into life. We're to live in humble ways. That's, this, that's the centerpiece of all of this. And so he says, in the same way, our model is Jesus we're challenged in, in chapter 2 to follow in his steps. In 2.21, we're to follow in his steps. 
of what do the steps of Jesus look like. We just picture walking in him, walking as Jesus walked. Well, first of all, he speaks of healthy submission. Obviously, there's an unhealthy submission when it has to do with abuse or somehow being destructive in a relationship. That's not what he was talking about here, of course. He's talking about a sense of humility and the context here, he's particularly talking to wives whose husbands aren't believers. But the principle is for all wives that, that this submissive spirit was what God is looking for. That doesn't mean you're to be treated like a slave. That doesn't mean that, that you don't count or you're second importance or second rate or you lose your identity. It doesn't mean any of that. Chapter 2, verse 13, Peter writes, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. He's talking to all all readers at that point. Uh, Paul the Apostle writes in Ephesians chapter 5 that we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it's actually a quality to be seen in all people. Nevertheless, there's an unusual role that women have and uh, wives have in this role of, su of submission. And sadly, people get confused by it. The word means to arrange under. That's what it means. What it means is this, is look, God has put husbands in the responsible position of leading their families before the throne of God. They're to do that by their own submissive, submissiveness to Christ, by being like Jesus, by learning to love their wives as Christ has loved the church. God has made them responsible. Therefore, we need our wives to come beside us and, be, and to undergird us. We need our wives, uh, we need their perception, their understanding, we need their insights, we need their wisdom, their life experience. We need all that to feed into us so we can be better in our role. That's simply what this means. That the, the wife's role is so important as the husband is carrying out his responsibility of leading the family well. It's this attitude of humility, an unselfish spirit that God is commanding here. Christ himself is the model. Second of all, he mentions this effective influence. Now in the first century, just as in our day, uh, women come to Christ more easily and quickly than do men. We are more stubborn, typically speaking. That's not always true in every marriage uh, and always in the genders, but usually it's true. That's why when dads become believers, there's a greater influence on children in the home than when only the mother is a believer. If a mother is a believer in Christ, there's about a 27% chance that the child will be a follower of Jesus. If a dad becomes a follower of Jesus, it's 70-some percent chance that the child will become a follower of Jesus. That's the impact, the influence that, that a husband has, a father has in the home. The, the, the writing to these wives here in the first century whose husbands aren't believers, he says, influence them without words. Now, that's not the tendency because, first of all, women speak a lot of words and they'd like to nag their husbands to church or whine their husbands to, to follow Jesus. That is counterproductive. We have lots of women who come here who are alone in their faith. And the best way to win your husband over is without words, but, but, but he says, by this gentle and quiet spirit. In other words, there's such a change that comes over you 
that your husband wants what you have. It's like he's got another wife he's never met before. And he loves this wife. I mean, she's an unusual kind of wife in all the growing aspects of who she is as a woman. She's a godly one. She's consistent. She's humble. She's, she's changing. Her joy is different. Her, 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 her attitude toward him is different. Everything has changed because that's what Jesus does. That's what, that's what Peter says a godly woman looks like. He's inspired by God to write these words. They come from the Lord himself. The third thing he speaks about is lasting beauty here. Verse 3 talks about this true beauty that doesn't come from outward adornment. Now, too many religious groups have, and maybe you grew up in a religious group that so misapplied this text. That's why we see religious groups where women are not uh, allowed to wear jewelry or makeup or do their hair or and they, they can't wear fashionable clothes. That, that, that it comes from this text. That's not what Peter is talking about here. One of the reasons we know that. Do you see in the text where it says, uh, uh, talks about fine clothes. She shouldn't be worried about fine clothes or don't wear fine clothes. The word fine is not even in the Greek original text. It just says clothes. The translators add it to, to, to teach the, the, what Peter's trying to say. He's not saying wives shouldn't wear clothes. It's not what he's saying. He's calling attention to the fact that, look, wives... Take care of your beauty. It's fine to do that. Just make sure you don't take care of only your outer beauty and think that's sufficient. Because we all know that that's not enough in the Lord. That what he's looking for is the, the, the other kind of beauty. The beauty of the heart from within. That's what he's saying. This word adornment is, is the word for world, cosmos. It's where the word cosmetic comes from. So, so the idea is, don't let your beauty, as, as you're giving attention to outward beauty, don't bypass the inner beauty that God is looking for. In Peter's day, Roman women just tried to outdo each other in outward adornment. So what's changed now? Not much, right? There's still this outdoing of somebody else to gain attention, perhaps, or to look beautiful. This is what the text says about genuine beauty. Ladies, it says genuine beauty is inward. It's inward. Now, we all, we all have noticed, we all notice a stunningly beautiful person, whether male or female. In this context, let's think we, we, we can recognize a beautiful woman. Have you ever noticed a beautiful woman you had a conversation with? And suddenly you find out she's a gossip. She's condescending. She laughs at people. She looks down at people. And suddenly she's not beautiful at all to you anymore. When you see her, you, that's what you see. You don't notice the outward beauty. Conversely, you can look and meet a woman who's not particularly attractive, but the longer you talk to her and you recognize her heart, you recognize the kind of person and giving person, the joy with, by which she lives, suddenly you don't even notice that she's not all that attractive because there's this inner, inner beauty that comes out of her. That's what God says. That's what inner beauty is all about. He also says that greater, the genuine beauty is unfading. It's the same word that Peter uses in the first chapter, verse 4, to describe heaven. It's why. I love at weddings. When I do weddings, before we close, I like to talk about their 50th wedding anniversary. That they'll, they'll come, some of you are married, I probably said at your wedding, but you know, on your 50th anniversary when you celebrate, the cool thing about that, and, and you've been to those receptions, and you laugh at their wedding pictures, your kids laugh at your wedding pictures, but when you look at each other, I mean, you, you, you look at your wife on your 50th anniversary, and 
there are wrinkles where you didn't know wrinkles could exist. And, and, and you've seen, been through a multiple number of hair colors probably. And there's been weight change. And yet she's ravishingly beautiful to you. More beautiful than on your wedding day. Because of the beauty of the heart that continues to grow to be godly and giving and serving. That's, that's what God is looking for. And that's, that's what every man wants in his wife. Genuine beauty is also treasured by God. A gentle, quiet spirit is of great worth to him. This refers to a wife who is not pushy. She's not naggy. She's not demanding her rights. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Meek doesn't mean weak and puny and, you know, wallflowers. It doesn't mean that. It just means there's a gentleness, a quietness, a stability, a consistency in her. A godly wife knows how to control her words. She, she, knows, she knows how to bless people. She knows how to let her influence be known. She, she doesn't draw unnecessary attention to herself. She's not loud and obnoxious and controlling. She's, she's beautiful before God and she's beautiful before people, treasured by God. And genuine beauty is attractive. That is, in other words, there's certain magnetism to a woman who cares deeply about her inner beauty. These are the kind of people you want to be. These are the kind of, of wives that the husbands are proud of, the kinds of wives that people just like to be around because of their kindness and their goodness and, and the way they bless and to give. A beautiful spirit is absolutely irresistible. And that's what God wants. And the example that Abraham uses, of course, is Sarah. He could have talked about Miriam or Hannah or Ruth or Esther, but he chose Sarah. Sarah's married to Abraham. Abraham, imagine he goes home one day and says, pack up, you're leaving. Where are we going? I don't know. Well, I'm not going anywhere until you tell me where we're going. No, no, he just said, God didn't tell me. He just said to follow him and he'll tell me as we're going. And somehow by faith, just like Abraham, she packed up and they moved. And as they moved, there were all kinds of challenges. Abraham lied about her identity twice when his life was in danger. He said, oh, it's my sister, not my wife. How would that make you feel? And then, after years go by, she finally has to come to accept she's not going to have a child in a culture where a woman's worth is only based on childbearing. And imagine her embarrassment and her disappointment and her sense of emptiness. And then... That, above that, she has to watch Hagar, the, the, the servant woman, have a baby by her husband Abraham, by Sarah's, Sarah's husband Abraham, and then have that pain so galling to her, and then watch the joy that Abraham had in, in, in Ishmael as Ishmael grows. And, and, you know, then later when she does have a promised child born, and when he's about 13 years old, Abraham says, I'm going to up on the mountain. I'm going to, I'm going to, kill, I'm going to kill Isaac. What? I mean, it's just through and through. Now, she wasn't a perfect woman. She wasn't a perfect wife. After all, it was her idea that Abraham sleep with Hagar to have a baby by her. Sarah treated Hagar terribly after the baby was born, so much so that Hagar ran away and wanted to die because of the treatment she was receiving from Sarah. Um, Sarah, when God did say to Abraham, I'm going to give you a child, remember Sarah was in the tent, she heard it and she laughed. She mocked at the idea. So she wasn't perfect. All he's saying is, in the big picture of Sarah's life, her faith outshone her frailty. 
And that's what God's looking for. None of us can be perfect, even though Peter earlier has says, be holy. God's word is be holy because I am holy. We know we will never be perfectly holy as God is holy until we're standing before him face to face. Nevertheless, he calls us to that, and he wants in the big picture for us our faith, our godliness to outshine our weakness and our frailties and the wrongs along the way. Wives, that's what he calls you to. So these great women of faith are great godly examples. Perfection, you can go for it. You never get there. But you can be a great godly woman of faith that radiates beauty from the inside out. Now, guidance for husbands. Oh, man, these words are really important. You know, it was Aretha, you know, R-E-S-B-E-C-T. Tell me what it means to me, you know. I love Aretha, don't you? Um, the, uh, these words, you know, words have meaning. These are inspired words. Now, you notice that wives get six, six verses, men only get one verse. Because we can only handle one verse at a time. You know. <laughs> Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Okay, in the same way, in other words, husbands, we're talking about a, a humble heart again, a spirit of humility to walk in the steps of Jesus. You want, you want a happy family, you want a happy wife, a healthy wife, follow the steps of Jesus. Be his. So we still have in view that two things. First, understand your wife. He says, be considerate. King James says, dwell with them, dwell with them according to knowledge. Or one version has, live with them in an understanding way. Uh, I don't know what your degree was in, but we all have the, the, the subjects of the toughest. My toughest was math. I just was not a math guy. I don't understand you engineers. I just don't get you or you actuaries, you know, that deal with numbers. Blah, again, won't get it. And so I remember a time in school I said, I don't get it. And you know what? I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to try. I checked out. And you can do that with relationships. You can decide I'm not, I, I, I'm, I can't understand that woman, and I never will. I'm, I'm going to stop trying. You don't have that liberty to stop trying. Women are complicated. They are a mystery, and they are a lot of fun discovering. That's one of the fun parts of marriage, getting to understand, understand our wives, to figure them out and how they operate and how they think. Don't check out. Don't get a brain block in all of this. In fact, this word, this word that Peter uses for wife, the Greek word there is only found here in the New Testament. It means feminine one. And I think what he is emphasizing is, look, when God created, he created two genders, male and female. And every cell of the body, I am saddened as you are saddened that we live in a culture where there is, so much, there is so much confusion about gender issues. I'm sad for that, and I bring that up so that we caution us that we are not a condemning, judging church, 
but that we would be a church willing to walk with people who are struggling with those matters. I've walked with a brother who was baptized here five years ago, has become a woman, and it's been a difficult journey, and I, I don't know what to do with it, but I have told him, you know, this is not your answer. This is not the answer for peace and wholeness. And I can't understand it. I don't get it. But I love you. And I'll be here for you. And, and I'll work with you through it. But, but your solution for your pain is not the direction in which you're moving. God has made us male and female. And wholeness only comes through Jesus Christ. Now, husbands, we have to learn how to understand the feminine role of our wives in marriage, or how uniquely God created them. They are very unique, and we want to treat them in such a way. So second, so, so, so find joy in understanding your wife. Learn, get, get inside, and listen to her words, and try to understand where she's coming from, and her perspective. The, the, when we can do that, it, it shows great honor to them, and then we know how to function with them. Second, respect your wife. Now, he says here, respect her as the weaker partner. <laughs> Not my words, don't hiss at me. You know, don't hiss at Peter, and don't get mad at God. It's, it's statements like this that make people check out of the Bible. See, it's an archaic book. This is only uh, chauvinists who wrote this. This is only man's words, not God. That is not true. That is not true. This is inspired word. What does Peter mean? I'm not sure, frankly. Uh, I do think that probably he's talking physically because most, most men can dominate their wives physically. But I must admit at the gym, there are a couple women I do not want to arm wrestle. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, physiologically, men's skin is thicker than woman's skin. Also, our skulls are thicker than women's. That's not, that's not, that, that's not that funny. It's just part, by how God made us, you know. We have thick skulls. We know that. So, here are a couple of dishes from my house. Uh, this is not what I drink of. I have a big, heavy mug. Uh, this, is, uh, this is casual settings by Oneida souffle pattern right there. Uh, I went to replacements.com this week. If I break this, it cost me $4.99. Uh, here I have, when we got married, does anybody use China anymore? I don't know if they do. We do on special occasions. So this is a Noritake Heather pattern. Uh, uh, eBay this week had one, a replacement for $16.99. Same function, but when we wash them, we handle them differently. This is of greater worth. It's more valuable. It's a little more fragile. So I have to hold it differently. I have to handle it differently. That's, that's all Peter's saying. He's saying, husbands, just realize your wife is designed differently than, than your, your male friends. And you can't expect them to function the same way you do. And so handle them with care. Because there's something, they, are, they are a beautiful person God put in your life. And handle them as such. You know, we guys, you know, I, I can... I can I can look, I can look at uh, uh, Chris, Chris. Hey, put on a few, ba a few pounds, haven't you, Chris? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Try that for your wife. 
ain't a chance, right? Ain't a chance we're going to do that, all right? Because we're made differently. Um, we, we also, just in this matter where we laugh about words, our wives talk so much, don't they? You know, they just do. God made them that way too. They're, they're more expressive than we are. God made them that way. They, he made them more transparent and vulnerable. And, and um, uh, because of their vulnerability, God is saying here, don't abuse that vulnerability. Don't take advantage of it. Don't make it to your advantage that they're open with you and you're more private. You know, just know that we, we assess things differently. We think things differently. We assume things differently. I love these journal entries that this husband and wife made the same day. At the end of the day, about her day, she writes, Tonight my husband was acting weird. He had made plans, we had made plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner. Conversation wasn't flowing, so I suggested we go somewhere quiet so we could talk. He agreed, but he didn't say much. I asked him what was wrong. He said, nothing. I asked him, it was my fault that he was upset. He said, I'm not upset. That had nothing to do with me, not to worry about it. On the way home, I told him I loved him. He smiled slightly, kept driving. When we got home, he sat there quietly, watched TV. He continued to seem distant, absent. Finally, with silence all around us, I decided to go to bed. After 15 minutes later, he came to bed. I still felt he was distracted. His thoughts were somewhere else. He fell asleep. I don't know what to do. His journal, same day. Rough day, boat wouldn't start, can't figure out why. <laughs> That's about how it runs, right? It's about how it is. We Look, Peter is just saying to us men, listen, do you realize who God has put in your life? She's like you, but different from you. She's another human being, so she functions in much the same way because she's human, but she's very different as well. And so God put us together as two very different people to complement one another, to make each other better, so that in the midst of this journey together, we could help each other become more like Christ, more godly in preparation for his coming. And sometimes in marriages, because of the stresses, what happens, we start reacting against each other and fighting against each other, and we start building all the, all the differences instead of what we have together. You know, we have to learn to laugh at ourselves. We have to learn to to take life, the things we take so seriously, we have to lighten up about them. We need to learn to talk and listen to one another better. We need to slow down so we have time for each other. We need to somehow figure out how we're going to make this an adventurous journey whether than, other than a, rather than a journey of pain and, and struggle along the way. Um, we're, we're, we have to learn that through all of this, you know, you know, James' words, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I mean, that's, that's, that's just good advice for all relationships, right? Including the marriage relationship. Jesus is the great life giver, friends. He's the one that can take any marriage and he can revolutionize marriages when two people are willing to humbly lay down their lives before the Lord at the cross and say, God, this is all I am. It's all I got. Even if you're alone in your marriage of faith, your marriage can be better when you lay down your life and realize that your spouse is not equipped to meet all your needs. Your spouse cannot make you happy, is not designed to make you happy. There's only one person that can fulfill your life, and that is Jesus Christ. And until he is absolute Lord, you will put a lot of weight on your partner, on your spouse, 
to somehow make that make make life work for you and be complete. Don't don't put that don't put that weight on your spouse. Don't do that. That's unfair. There's only one, Jesus Christ. And when we bow to him, something happens within. Something changes within us. So we become the people he wants to be. And he builds marriages. Marriages that this culture needs, that needs before them lived out in such a way that they come into our homes, they're around us, they say, man, I want to have their marriage. And then we get to tell them how we have the marriage we do. It's because of Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. If you do not know him, you need to be born again. You need to be baptized into him, and you need to be resurrected. Whatever your situation in life, single, married, divorced, widowed, separated, struggling in whatever feature of your life, the only thing I want to say to you is it's a broken world, it's a messed up world, and Jesus Christ alone is the hope of the world. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that in you we find all that we need. I pray we learn to understand that and welcome that and believe that with our whole heart from the inside out. May God be praised in our families, in our single lives, in our engaged lives, in our married lives, our broken lives, whatever our life looks like, Father. Even today, we lay it down in Jesus' name.